Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today, you get an early treat. This week, um, I heard a message. It was preached at our men's Bible study. And I said, man, this was an amazing message. I want this message shared with the whole church. And so I called the person who shared the message and I said, hey. And they said, yes. I said, are you ready for the big leagues? They said, what does that mean? Trying to be a godly husband. I'm trying to be a godly father. Trying to be a godly man. I said, no. Are you ready to preach this message on Sunday morning? All three services so that all of our church can enjoy. And they said, yes. No, really, he said, are you serious? Are you serious? And I said, yes, I'm very serious. So you don't know this, but long after Miss Michelle and I are gone, and when you're kind of feeling down and you're sitting over at Wesley's Pond in the bench next to my ashes going, Pastor, she did it again. Okay. And, and, and you're doing whatever it is that you're doing there. You're going to be able to say, I remember I was there when he preached his first sermon. Okay? So first of all, I want to introduce his wife, his beautiful wife who runs our nursery. Rochelle, would you stand up and wave? And then... I want you to stand and welcome Pastor Joseph Aranza as he comes to preach the first Sunday message ever preached here at our Savior's Church. Come on, let him know you. You guys can be seated. Uh, I did say that. I was like, are you serious? He was like, yes. I was like, all right, well, here we go. But I'm a, big, uh, I'm a big believer in honor. Uh, I believe that if you don't honor what's been, that God will not bless where you're going. And I wanna first start off by honoring my mom and dad. And I've not cried all three services, but my mom has not been here. So, you know, mom, has, you got a little soft spot in, in your son's hearts. But uh, I would not be who I am if it wasn't for both of you guys' investment. I love you so dearly. Thank you all for always being parents before being pastors. Um, there's something called the principle of perspective. And basically what it means is where you sit determines what you see. And I've had a different seat in y'all's life than everyone here. And I can truly say that you guys have been an example of what it means to be a man and woman of God. When it gets hard, you guys stand on the word. When everything falls apart, you stand on the word. Y'all showed us what it looks like to be a man and woman of God. Thank you for being faithful. Can we begin the hand? And uh, there's so many other people here I could thank, but you know we got we got to get into the word this morning. I'm excited about the message that I'm speaking, and the topic might sound so elementary when I say it, but it's so pivotal and it's so crucial to your Christian life. Um, one of the things that I love about the word is it's alive. The word is living, and the evidence that something is living is that it speaks. And every time I open this book, it speaks to me. And I read something 
that I've read a hundred times. You ever read a story that you've read a hundred times and you see something that you've never seen before? That's God speaking to you. And I read a story about a man named Lazarus. And I saw something that I've never seen before. And this morning, I believe it's gonna encourage your belief. So I'm gonna just give you a quick flight plan. I'm gonna let you know on the front end, we're going to read 27 verses. It's gonna take me like five minutes, okay? Five minutes, I promise you. And then we're going to jump into today's message with me asking the question, do you really believe? If you'd open up your word with me to John 11, 1. John 11, 1. Uh, if you don't know this about Lazarus, Lazarus was a near and dear friend of Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that, Laz- that Jesus only wept three times. One of those was for Lazarus. So that lets you know the intimacy of their friendship. Lazarus is not just an acquaintance. Lazarus is not just a friend. Lazarus is someone that Jesus loved deeply. This is how it reads. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Pause. How many of y'all are like my wife and you like to watch the ending of a movie before the beginning? Okay, y'all drive me crazy. Okay, she'll, she'll read the ending of a book before the beginning. It, it actually drives me mad. I've been married for four years and I just don't understand it. Last week we were watching a movie on Netflix and she leans over, she was like, hey, you like John Dutton? I'm like, yeah, this is my guy, he's my favorite. He dies at the end of this episode. I'm like... <laughs> Why would you tell me that? Like, we're three seasons into this thing. Like, what? But it's actually kind of funny because if I were to ask you what the story of Lazarus is, you would say, Lazarus, someone close to Jesus, died. Jesus shows up. Resurrection calls him out of the grave. But really, in verse 4, Jesus tells us that he was never dead to begin with, that this sickness actually had an assignment. The assignment in verse four, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, this is for the glory of God. Isn't it encouraging to know that God works all things together for the good? He'll take what the enemy meant for evil and he'll use it for good. What the enemy meant for evil with Lazarus, Jesus says, no, this not only isn't gonna lead to death, but I'm gonna use it for life. It's good news. Let's keep reading. Verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I think it is interesting that out of Jesus' love for them, he did nothing. I don't know about you, but I like Jesus to show his love for me out of his activity. We'll talk about this later. Then he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? There's this worship song we sing in church called The Reckless Love of God. Have you heard this song? Some people don't love the psalm because they think that Jesus' love is not reckless, it's intentional and it's deliberate. And that is true. But what the disciples are telling Jesus in this moment is, you're acting reckless. Why are you going back to the place where they just tried to kill you, where they just tried to stone you? You just survived the place that you wanna go back to. We see why Jesus does this when we continue reading. Verse nine, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And here it is, verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, 
Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Isn't it good news that Jesus was willing to put himself in harm's way out of his love for Lazarus? Isn't this kind of like a picture of the cross? Jesus put himself in harm's way for you and I. Jesus risked it all for you and I. He loves you that much. Let's continue reading. Verse 12, the disciples had said to him, well, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest as in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. I love what the message translation of this says. Then Jesus became explicit. Lazarus died, and I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there because you're about to be given new grounds for believing. I love that. It's almost as if Jesus is telling us there's levels to your belief. Now, I love that he said, I'm glad I wasn't there because if Jesus would have been in the presence of Lazarus, Lazarus never would have died because dead things don't exist in the presence of Jesus. And I love the second part of that where he said, you're about to be given new grounds for believing. Jesus is telling us, you believed in who I was when you saw me heal the blind man, but your belief's about to level up when you see Lazarus come out of the grave. I mean, we're just reading the Bible at this point. We haven't even gotten into anything. Verse 18, so verse 16, here we go. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciple, let's go that we may also die with him. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And really, 21 through 27 is going to be the focus of our time this morning. But Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, he'll give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he'll rise again. In the resurrection, on the last day, Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe? Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe. This morning, I wanna remind you of a principle that I see in this story. And it's this, that God's plan is usually not our preference. Now, I'm 30 years old and I've come to that revelation, so I'm sure some of our seasoned people here might have experienced that. In fact, I'll, I'll say this, God's plan is almost never our preference. We see this all throughout the Bible. We see this with Joseph, who had to get thrown in a pit and sold into slavery by his brothers before he could be placed in the palace. We see this with Job, who lost everything, his family, his wealth, his friendships, before God was done writing his story. We see this with the children of Israel, when they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years before reaching the promised land. Do you see the pattern? Here's the pattern. God has a destination for each of our lives. But for every destination, there is a divine detour. For every God-sized miracle, there is usually a God-assigned mess. And there have been many moments in my life where just like Joseph and just like Job and just like the children of Israel, I thought I was doing what God had called me to do. I was being faithful. I was being consistent. I was being humble. At least I thought I was being humble. And I felt like where I was standing didn't match with what God had spoken. 
There was this gap. The destination didn't match the detour. Maybe that's where you find yourself at this morning. Can I encourage you with some truth? That God is more concerned with who you're becoming rather than what you're doing. You see, I believe, I believe that God has a plan for your life. I, I just don't believe that. The Bible says it. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. This should be encouraging to you because it lets us know that God's plan for our lives are better than our plans for our lives. His plan is not just for us, but it's to prosper us. That's why you know anything that comes to harm your life doesn't come from God because Jeremiah 29, 11 says that my plan is not to harm you, but to prosper you. So God has a plan for our life. But God having a plan for our life is his part. Our part is trusting the plan when you do not understand the process. That's our part. I believe this is what we see in the story we're reading. Jesus hears his best friend is dying. Now, just picture this, okay? Your bestie, whoever that person is. I don't know why, but growing up, it's like your best friend was like, if I kill somebody, will you bury them with me? Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was your best friend, like, ride or die. Like, I need you to lie for me. That was your best friend. His best friend, the person he loved the most, is dying. And this is what the Bible says that he does in John eleven six. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Have you ever needed God to show up right away? Yes, okay, have you, like this is not a January thing. This is not a February thing. Like, God, I need you now. Uh, I do marriage counseling and Thanksgiving, I got a call from a couple that I was counseling. They've been married for two years. And I answered it, and she goes, I'm about to murder my husband. And I'm like, oh, well, don't do that. It's Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, God, don't, please don't do that. I'm going to kill him. So, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor, so let me pray for you. God's going to show up. Well, he better show up now. I'm like, God, please show up now. <laughs> oh, please show up now. There have been a lot of moments in my life where I've needed God to show up now. And it feels like in the story, he waits two days longer. Maybe that's where you find yourself at this morning. Let me encourage you and remind you that what you are experiencing is not denial, it's delay. I love what Dr. Darius Daniel says. He says, we serve such an intentional God that when he's doing something, he's doing something. And when he's doing nothing, he's doing something. What you're experiencing isn't denial, it's delay. Don't ever place a period where God has placed a comma. He's the author of your story. He knows every chapter of your book. God's ear is not too deaf. His arm is not too short. He knows the beginning and the middle and the end. God has a plan, but we have to trust the plan. There's uh, so many characteristics for who God is when you read the Bible you see this, you see that God is peace, you see that God is love, you see that God also is a jealous God, you see the wrath of God. And one of the things that I actually, I have it written on a little postcard and I have it on my mirror. Every morning I remind myself that God is the master architect, the master architect, because that reminds me of his sovereignty. It reminds me that he knows the beginning and the middle and the end. And here's what's important. You have to remember, we don't see how God sees. We see today, God sees tomorrow. 
We see to the hill. He sees over the hill. We see to the corner. God sees around the corner. In this story, Mary and Martha see a dead man. Jesus is like, nah, he's just sleeping. God has a plan, but we have to learn how to trust his plan. Now, as I'm reading this story, I gotta be honest, I don't know if I have ever related to someone as much in the Bible as I have Martha in this moment. Now, I, I want you to put yourself in Martha's shoes. Her brother, the person she loved most, was dying. She sends out to Jesus, and Jesus decides to wait. And because of Jesus' inactivity, her brother has died. Now Jesus shows up, and this is the very first thing Martha says to Jesus. Just think about this. The, the very first thing, she says, if you would have been here sooner, he wouldn't have died. If you'd been here sooner, you wouldn't have died. Don't you think that the very first thing you would tell Jesus is, oh my God, you're here. It's, we're good. Guys, we're good. Jesus is here, the Savior, the Son. Like, he's gonna live, we're good. But that's not what she says. Look what she says, the very first thing. If you would have been here sooner, he wouldn't have died. Now, I don't know how many married people we have here, but have you ever had like an argument with your spouse? Has that ever happened to anyone or is that just me? Okay, just check it, I know we're in church. Like, have you ever had an argument in the morning? You know, it's, it's early, it's before coffee. You know, we have a one-year-old sleeping in our bed, so we just wake up angry at all times. We're getting kicked in the face. You're just angry for no reason. And like you wake up and you know, you're aggravated and she's aggravated and she's giving you the baby and changed the diaper. And it's like, I don't wanna be on diaper duty. What are you talking about? Like, I don't and, and, and you leave the house on a bad note. Like you just leave angry. So all day at work, you're just meditating on just, if she thinks that I'm gonna change diapers at 2 a.m. and I'm, I'm, that's me, oh, and she's gonna do that? Okay, then she's gonna call my mom and then my mom's gonna send me a text, hey, thinking about you, I know what's going on. I'm not doing this. Okay, I know that, uh, you're not checking on me, man. My wife called you. Okay. And then you come home after marinating on that all day and you just kick in the door. I'll let you know right now, I know you called my mom and I know exactly what you're doing. And, I, and about five minutes into ripping into her, you realize, oh God, what am I saying? baby, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't mean that. You know, I love you. That was never my heart. I'm sorry. I think it's so interesting that the very first thing that Martha says to Jesus reveals what she really feels. The very first thing she tells him is, if you would have been here sooner, he wouldn't have died. What is Martha saying? You're too late. Where were you? We called. Why'd you wait? He's dead. Jesus, you're... You missed it. You missed it. You're too late. And after Martha tells Jesus how she really feels, look what she says after. I know that even now, whatever you ask from God, he'll give to you. Do you see what I'm saying? Martha's showing that it's possible to quote scripture about healing, but not really have the faith to believe for healing. Because the first thing she says reveals how she really feels. But then after she's revealed how she really feels, she throws some religious something on the back end because she feels like it's appropriate for the moment. And let me remind you that quoting a scripture you don't believe in is like putting a child Spider-Man Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. It does nothing. That's why I love Mark eleven twenty four. 24. 
It says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, the Bible is very intentional with what it says. So it doesn't say, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, it's yours. No, it says, whatever, I, whatever you ask for in prayer, if you believe it, if you stand on it, if when your situation doesn't look like it, you still stand on the promises of God, that your child might look like they're far from gone, but I'm still gonna stand on this. If you believe it, you will receive it. It isn't what you know that raises dead things back to life. It's what you believe. So this morning, I wanna give you two things that I believe Lazarus moments do. What's a Lazarus moment? When something dies that you never thought would die. When the marriage that you never thought would fall apart begins to fall apart. When the child that you thought was perfect and was never gonna act crazy starts acting demon-possessed. When a Lazarus moment happens. Um, the first thing that happens is your belief will be exposed. Oh, it'll expose your belief. Uh, about four years ago, my wife and I moved to Southern California. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Southern California is very different than South Louisiana. Can I get an amen? <sighs> Wasn't no crackling, boot ain't happening, none of that. And I can honestly say, man, our first year there, it was like the greatest faith-building season of our lives. Uh, we were working with young people, and it was a lot of gang violence. We were like put in the inner city, and we were going in, just laying hands, seeing God do miracles. It was like wild. I was seeing things I'd never seen before. My faith was built. And about a year into us being in the inner city, working, we really started talking about having kids. You know, it was always a desire of my heart to have kids. I'm one of five and she's one of three. And that was always a desire that we had. So we really started praying about like, God, when's the time to start having kids? And we really felt the go from God. So we started trying and, you know, we got pregnant right away. It was amazing. I mean, making babies is the fun part. Um, it is. If you're married to a beautiful woman, it should be. And we got pregnant right away. And, you know, all, all you parents here, you know, there's no experience like when you first get pregnant. It's like, you're so ecstatic. And at night we started this routine where we both lay our hands on the baby and we start praying and prophesying over their future. And I know it's gonna be a boy and he's gonna play for the LSU Tigers and it's gonna be, you know, we're just, we're just praying, we're believing. We just start thinking of just parenthood and just everything that comes with it. And about 10 weeks in, Rochelle had a miscarriage. And I was devastated. She was devastated. It, it, uh, it took a toll on us. For about four or five months, we really walked through probably one of the darkest seasons we've ever walked through. And we went to counseling and, you know, it, it really affected me. But as a woman, carrying that child would affect her in a whole different way. About five months into this journey, you know, we really start praying about having kids again. Like, no, we know this is what God's given us. We know this is a desire that he's given me. We know you're called to be a mother. We're doing this. So just like the first time we get pregnant right away again. And uh, this time we were definitely more hesitant. We didn't tell my family. She didn't tell her family. We didn't post. We just kept it between us two. And about 12 weeks in, I'll never forget it. Sunday morning, I was actually, it was baptism Sunday. I was in a pool baptizing people. And I get a call on my phone, and when I look, I actually had had like 12 missed calls. And I answer it, and it's Rochelle, and she's, she's weeping, saying, I, I just had another miscarriage. And I will never, ever, ever forget, like tangibly feeling like I'm losing my belief. 
And as a pastor, it's such a weird place to be where you're in people's homes praying for miracles for them while something's dying in your home. And I just remember falling really into a depression, which I now know is just suppressed disappointment. It's when you get so disappointed, so discouraged, so frustrated, the God that you thought was merciful and good and would never let something bad happen, and now things start happening that contradict who you thought God was, and it was dark. We walked through that journey for about six months, and uh, I'll never forget one morning, I was, we had like a little patio, we had a two-bedroom, two-bath apartment, and it was very tiny, and I had this little patio, and that was my prayer space, and I remember one morning just going out and crying out to God, and it's like God gave me an aerial view of who I was before the miscarriage and who I was after the miscarriage, and God asked me this question. He said, what happened? Like you used to be so bold, you were a beacon for these kids, you were going to the streets praying for people, now you're timid, now you're disappointed. Like, what happened? And you know what I realized? A storm hit my life, and it exposed that my roots weren't as deep as I thought they were. And God told me something in that season that I will never forget. He said, the magnitude of your storm will always come to measure the depth of your foundation. Let me ask you a question this morning. How will you ever know that God is provider if you've never needed provision? How will you ever know that God is your healer if you've never needed healing? How will you know that God is your defender if you've never needed defense? Every storm has an assignment and its assignment is to reveal the roots. And this is what we see in the story we're reading. Martha's brother is dead, Lazarus, and she's here telling Jesus that he's too late. And this is Jesus' response. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I don't know if you're like me, but if Jesus is standing in front of me telling me something's gonna happen, I'm good. Story's over. But look what Martha says. Martha says, I know he'll rise again, Jesus, in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus says, my translation, you moron, I am the resurrection. Like Martha begins to quote scripture to Jesus. Jesus says, I am the scripture. She's saying, I I know he'll rise again at the last day. He says, no, 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 I am the resurrection. Just think about this. Martha is standing in front of Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God. She has tangible access to healing. And she's been so accustomed to religion that she begins to inform Jesus about what the Bible says. She's already starting to settle for pain management when she can experience healing. Let me remind you today that the God that we read about in that Bible that raises dead things to life is still the God that we serve. That we don't have to settle for a mediocre version of a healer when we have the healer, the resurrected Jesus. It's the God you serve today. The first thing it'll do is it will expose your belief. The second thing Lazarus moments do is it will enlarge your belief. It'll enlarge your belief. Right here, John eleven twenty five. Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection in life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, 
he will live. And here it is. Here's the whole morning right here. Do you believe? She says, yes, Lord, I believe. Could it be that this whole thing wasn't about Jesus resurrecting Lazarus? What if Martha was the one that needed a resurrection? I have a question for you this morning. What are the areas in your life that you just stopped believing in? What are the dreams you've just stopped dreaming? What's the doctor's report that you just now begin to agree with? Where have you lost your belief? I know how hard it is. It's this weird balance of sitting in disappointment and the thought of trying to believe for something that's died so many times again is so exhausting that it's easier just to not even believe. This morning, I believe that God is here to restore your belief. He's here to restore your belief that no child's ever too far gone. No child's ever too far gone. No cancer report is ever final. Your condition is not your conclusion. We serve a God of miracles. And when you believe in this word, in his promises, and you stand on it, and you make it your foundation, there's nothing that can shake you. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, this morning I want to I want to pray for those here that are struggling with belief. You've been praying for that child for so long, so long. You've been praying for the marriage for so long. You've been hoping for something so long that the thought of hoping again just hurts. But this morning, I believe God, the healer, the restorer, is going to begin to restore your faith going to begin to restore your belief, going to begin to elevate your belief. Father, right now, we thank you that you are filling us up to overflow. There's people in here that are empty and they've been through so much and it's been storm after storm after storm. And it's like, God, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know how much more I can take. Father, we thank you that right now that you are filling them with belief, that you are reminding them that you are faithful, that your word says in Hebrews 13, eight, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you are never changing, that you are consistent, that you are not a foundation, you are the only foundation. Come and restore our belief. Come and restore our belief. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, I want to ask you the most important question. Jesus said, unless a man or woman were born again, he could not see the kingdom of God. Jesus said, unless a man or woman were born again, they would not enter into the kingdom of God. This morning, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Do you want to be born again? Do you want today to be the moment where you become a citizen of heaven? Today, everything can change. If that's you and you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I, I, I can't keep doing life the way I've been doing. I want to be born again. I want a relationship with Jesus. If that's you on the count of three, would you just lift your hands? One, two, three, all over this place. One, two, three, lift them high. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. 
I see you, you can put your hands down. One more time, if that wasn't you and you said my heart's about to beat out of my chest, if that's you, just raise your hand. If you didn't raise it the first time, keep your hand down. I see you, 22. Church family, would you pray with them? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name.